Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Not Drinking Poison podcast. Here we are in Series 3, which is entitled Les Amis Glais. Series 3 focuses on vignerons who have moved to France from Anglophone nations, let's say. Initially, I was going to have it be just America, but then I couldn't quite find enough just Americans. So we broadened it to Canada and then England, and then it might even get broader before this series is finished. But today I'm reporting from the Jura. I'm in the living room of my friend Katie Warabek. Hi, Katie. Hi, Aaron. If you hear a towering, hairy creature lumbering around the room, it's not Katie. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's her dog, Ted. <laughs> Hi, Ted. That'll be this episode's background noise. <laughs> Ted's tail hitting the yeah. table. Another new uh, improvement for this episode is, uh, you know, a lot of people have been telling me I should get sponsorships. Ah, yeah. amazing. So I'd like to announce this episode's sponsor. Yes. Bayer Pharmaceutical. Oh. Makers of Roundup. <laughs> Feels like a contentious. <laughs> <laughs> Feels slightly contentious. I don't know. I gotta, I gotta go. <laughs> Another podcast I gotta For do. those listeners unfamiliar with Roundup, it's a miracle product that allows <laughs> farmers to reduce grass cover, eliminate biodiversity, desertify their vineyards, and increase their chances of developing non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, <laughs> all in one fell swoop. So, oh well, thank you to the fine folks of Bayer Pharmaceutical. I hope they're paying you a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the matter at hand, which is Katie and her installation here in the Jura. Katie, you're originally from Ottawa, is that right? I was born and I grew up in Ottawa, Canada. I moved around a little bit um, in Canada for school and work, and... The last place I lived, I was living in Prince Edward County, which is, in European terms, it's really far, but in Canadian and American terms, it's right next to Toronto mm -hmm. on uh, Lake Ontario. It's like six hours away. Yeah, it's like 200 kilometers away, <laughs> but, but yeah. it's like the weekend destination for anyone. It's right between Toronto and Montreal, if you will, on the map, so it's quite popular. And it's a little wine region in Canada where... Uh, maybe like 25 years ago, maybe 30 years ago now even, um, a few guys started planting Chardonnay and Pinot Noir because they were kind of inspired by Burgundy and um, the terroir there actually, so it's very cold, but the, the actual soil is actually quite Burgundian that it's very, it's basically an island of limestone with like a thin topsoil of clay. So, so Katie here is sponsored by the Ottawa Wine Board. <laughs> <laughs> Those are, yes, I've now been sponsored by the uh, Wines of Ontario, yes. available at uh, in Ontario. <laughs> <laughs> Not a huge success on the on the, uh, the French export market. Uh, I think actually, you know, I don't think that the it's not that they wouldn't be successful. I think it's more of a question for another podcast of uh, import tariffs on non-French wine yes. from the French. So, you know, if you're a French consumer and you're looking for like a Burgundy style wine, uh, would you pick an unknown wine from? Burgundy at the price of a Grand Cru, or would you pick a Grand Cru from France? So yeah. I think it's just a bit of a tough sell. Yeah. After import. Even Grand Crus are tough sell. These Even days. Grand Crus are tough yeah. sells. Yeah. So you began working in wine. Uh, how did how did that happen in the first place? So it's like a bit of a long story, but um, to like paraphrase, I was t kind of taking a break from academics. I thought at that time that was like over ten years ago that I was I was really gonna go. Just, like I just finished my master's I wanted to do a PhD 
and I kind of was lacking a little bit of inspiration. And so I took some time off and I was working in a restaurant and there was this very crazy man that he he is still a farmer and he would come every like Wednesday night and he literally was, he just was like a crazy version of a farmer. He literally had like clown hair and was always in uh you know he was like 60 years old but was wearing like the shortest like cut off jeans with like his like boots on and his pickup truck anyways but the best soul and he would bring all his organic veg and he had created the system in all of the restaurants he was delivering veg to that he also delivered like empty garbage bins and he would collect all of their kitchen waste and feed it to their pigs and then, sorry, it has nothing to do with wine. And then he would, like, sell the What were the pigs' names? <laughs> Anyways, okay, but, like, blah, blah, blah. So I was really interested in farming, and I was like, okay, cool. And I had been studying farming, and I really wanted to, like, get into farming practically. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go on my days off and, like, just go to this farm. And it was so great. It was, like, we did everything. We built beehives. I had my own garden. I sold my veg to some restaurants as well like it was just this beautiful experience and because of that I kind of stayed in like front of house service and I started to get into wine because you know you're drinking a bit of wine and I thought it was a bit interesting and one of my old bosses who is still a good friend of mine she was like Katie I see you're really interested by the wine like you you should go and start your WSET. She's like, I'll do it with you and I'll pay for everything. You know, just like the two. And then she, so I did, we did that together. And then she also helped me pay for the the level three. And it was just interesting. And it was like, it was because I wanted to do something a bit, you know, it was good because I got into my like love for studying at that, at that time and like need to do something like fill that academic void that had been in my life. And um, and then I said to myself, I was like, well, wine is really interesting, but I would like to learn about it in the same way that I learned about farming. So if that's the story about the farmer is that because I just went there to go do mm-hmm. it. And so I asked a guy that I was buying wine from because I knew of this small wine region sort of nearby, which is Prince Edward County. And I was like, where can I, is there somewhere I could go and just learn? Like I'll go on my days off and I just, what I don't even know what I want to learn. But like, so that's I just how you began go. working in wine. And... That's how I got into wine. Yeah, and yeah. I literally would drive out on all my days off and volunteer. And I just did Nine everything. Nine hours drive every... Yeah. <laughs> it was like three and a half hour yeah. drive. So yeah, it's not nothing, you know. I would go on all my weekends for the summer and during a bit during harvest. And that's ended up where I ended up working. Mm. And what was, the, can you think of an initial spark that made you want to intern in France? Because as I understand, you, you moved to France in 2017 to intern yeah. with uh, Domaine Ganova. That's that right? right. And what was nice about this place I was working is that it was, for Canada, it was like at the time, the most interesting wine being made and also had this real culture of like what was it openness. Called? It was called Norman Hardy Winery. Okay. But there's been like a Me Too thing since then. So that's why I don't like yeah. <laughs> really <laughs> I didn't enjoy. want to delve into that, but it was more just because if you didn't mention it after saying it was one of the greatest wines in Canada, yeah, okay. then, so, then yeah. I would have to respond to the questions about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, so I don't enjoy... Um, I had a l- amazing experiences there and it was a really special time, I think, for all of us because like the people I met that are I'm still very close with and it's it, it was this like very special moment in time but like 
it's like a complicated thing to talk about because I don't feel that he as a person deserves any more publicity yeah. around his like winemaking. Mm-hmm. But it was still very special. And he, we would have these Sunday dinners where he literally we'd set up picnic tables in the middle of the winery and all these Somalis would come from Montreal and uh, Toronto. And in, just to like preface that, in, in Ontario, it's very hard to find wine. It's all through a monopoly. Mm-hmm. And it's like there's no natural wine like it's at the time now it's changed but like yeah. it, it's like it was just it's like gallo and like huge yeah because like, these now, now like toronto's in ontario yes toronto's in ontario yeah, so yeah, now yeah. it's so there's yeah, like a very got, cool yeah. scene yeah, yeah. better friends that uh, yeah. yeah but this was like 10 years ago yeah. and there was still natural wine coming in but people it was they the uh, Montreal people were drinking natural wine for a long time, mm-hmm. and there was like a huge thing about French yeah, yeah, wine, yeah, you know. Yeah. But in Toronto and Ontario, and certainly so where I'm from in Ottawa, it was yeah, like yeah. you know. Waste I mean, time. I'm from Pennsylvania, so I know all about this. Uh, <laughs> You're this like problem. we drink we drink beer, <laughs> you know. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah. Even craft beer. There's a state-controlled like, liquor board in Pennsylvania yeah. as well. Yeah. So you don't have a lot of choice. Mm-hmm. What was great about these dinners is that people would come and they would bring their allocations that they had got. Like people would literally, the wine nerds had private allocations from New York, would drive to New York, get their allocations, drive back and share these amazing bottles. And I have a really good friend, Cassidy, who is now in Ibiza. He has this great little wine bar and import in Ibiza. And he would come every summer and work with us. And he has like a great story that was based too. On before he was based in Ibiza. That was before, yeah. He's been in Ibiza kind of around the same time that I moved, just a bit after, just around COVID. So he would come with his car full of wine, and he had started to get really into natural wine. And so we had all these wines that like. Was that controversial for you and the other uh, gathered songs at the time? No, and like, no, not, I mean, we were drinking, like, I think my old boss and like a lot of the people, we were drinking a lot of like, um, what we thought was very special was like Cochetri and like Pierre-Yves Calimore and like this kind of like, the usual uni- cast of expensive wines, the usual cast of like, kind of like newer, but expensive wines from yeah. Burgundy. Mm-hmm. And like, that was also the style of wine that we were really trying to make. And that was like inspiring at the time. And then when especially Cass, but people started bringing all of these amazing wines that were natural wines. Like Cass bought the first Canva I ever had. Um, I remember Vanya from Vamont Lapin. Like I would ask, she's like so kind. I literally asked her, I'm like, I know you're coming. Can you bring me a mixed case of stuff so I can just try? Because it's impossible. And great, she would yeah. really. Yeah, I didn't know that she, you know, that she played a role in uh, yeah, your, your, your like natural all of those people. She's great. Yeah, yeah, it was really amazing to have these connections and so generous because mm-hmm. I would just ask because I was curious, like just the curiosity. And I remember the, the dinner, like I still remember the place and t- I can remember everything about the scene of having like the first natural wine that I was like, oh this is something different. And it was a friend had brought like a metra because we were making gamay as well, mm-hmm. but it's like super cold climate, like yeah. sulfur, you know, in like having a, be- like a really beautiful year metra. And I was like, oh, this is something else. Like, mm-hmm. wh- what is this? You know? And I think once you get to that point, it's hard to go back yeah. in time. You know, once you start going down the rabbit hole of natural wine, it's hard to go, go back to like very sulfured wines in any case. And and tangentially to that, like I had always been interested in organic viticulture, mm-hmm. and it that those two things together were really hard to find in in Canada. There were like a couple of people starting out, um, 
And there were some really interesting people doing like full biodynamic stuff, but then on the winemaking side, it was very conventional. Mm-hmm. And there was just nothing at the time, like no one that was really, who needed someone to work for them in any case. There was no one there that was like making the style of wine that I was interested in mm-hmm. learning about. And so I literally, I was just like, okay, maybe it's time. I'm going to start, I really want to start my own project somehow. Like I've been tired of working for where I was working. I quit my job and I had just like sent emails, like just like cold emails to, I guess I had to like, I had it by this point, I had had like four years experience of seller work. So like I was, which is a lot, which is a lot. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't like I had done nothing. I had done harvest in South Africa as well, mm-hmm. um, which was very, I think a really important harvest for me. Cause I really, I think before that didn't know. A lot about winemaking and even though the wines that we were making were quite classic and maybe not what I want to drink now all the time um, I think it was a really like formative experience yeah. um, but anyway so I literally just sent emails one all the domains that said I could come one was in that I really wanted to go to one was in Beaujolais which one was that? Um, at La Pierre. Yeah. And at, also in Demour in, oh, yeah. that been in Chablis. Too. Either of them would have been amazing. Yeah. And then kind of at the last minute, because of their importer in Quebec and like a friend of mine, the canvas said I could come. So mm-hmm. the decision was like, where because they, they're all amazing, was like yeah. where to go. And at the time, I had a six-month visa. Mm-hmm. And I thought my plan was to go to France six months, um, do the end of the season and harvest and then come back to Canada and start my project in Prince Edward County. Mm-hmm. And the decision was like, okay, if I go to La Pierre, I will only see Gamay. Mm-hmm. If I go to Chablis, it's only going to be Chardonnay. But if you go to Jura, it's like everything and oxidative and like Vendepas and like, you yeah. know, and then he There's has a Nego. So it's kind of, of yeah. Uh, product to work with. Yeah. So I thought for like the maximum of experience, like that was the best. Mm-hmm. And then also, I mean, just, the opportunity to go to Canva was amazing. And I, <laughs> I mean, I spoke no French. And mm-hmm. I had my friend write emails to them for me. I mean, and I got called out so hard on it once. Like, yeah. And Canva was like, so weird because like you write so well <laughs> in French. I'm like, <laughs> just like, yeah. Um, I actually Google did. I, I did the same thing to get my first internship yeah. in, in France as well. I. At the time, I was, uh, was a complete parenthetical story, but I, I was yeah. running an Irish pub in Boston to make cash <laughs> under the table. To try, <laughs> and I had this, I had this whisper of a rumor of an internship for a fashion company in Paris. Yeah. And so when I was emailing with the CEO of the fashion company, I would get oh this so French med student who was a regular at the Irish pub. I would get him to write the emails for me. Yeah. And so it, again, I showed up and it, I, I appeared to at least write. French well, but I spoke not a word. Which is ironic because written French is so difficult compared mm-hmm. to yeah. spoken French. Yeah, I got I like couldn't even conjugate like être yeah. and avoir, and they're like, oh, but your <laughs> writing is really excellent. So, speaking of parentheticals, I make a parenthetical right now because I brought a wine for us to taste together, um, and it's a wine. It was given to me about a, I guess, about a year ago, almost on the dot. Yeah, uh, by a friend in Boston, uh, Lauren Friel, who has three fantastic. Uh, natural wine spots in Boston, or in Cambridge, rather. Rebel Rebel, Wild Child, and Dear Annie. And during a little book signing event that we did at Wild Child, she kindly opened a bottle of uh, a red from this winemaker, uh, Deidre Heaken of La Garagista, um, who are in Vermont. And 
I promptly drank the entire bottle during <laughs> myself during like during the, the book book you know talk thing. So she insisted I have this bottle as well, which is a really really kind gift from her, and it's an oxidative white wine, Rancio Sec, uh, Belou, uh, number one. Uh, I guess this series of wines is called Lost Causes and Desperate Cases, and uh, it appears to be a kind of a it's a Solera style wine. So. So nice. Inspired by, uh, you know, the kind of the Jura van de Serre's uh, aesthetic. How appropriate. So my experience with Dietra is that, like, we have never met, but she was kind of, like, the only person near Canada mm-hmm. doing, like, anything like a project that I thought was interesting. And I wrote her so many emails randomly with, like, just completely random questions about different winemaking stuff and like wine growing questions and she was so generous like she i would write just like i don't even remember what my questions were but she would write me like missives like just very generous like thoughtful emails and i think that if i hadn't had that at all like it would have been very hard to go forward as well like just to have you know just to have someone also a woman who is like kind of espousing like how how great natural wine is it was really okay, I'm, so cheers, I'm glad, I'm glad it was a, an appropriate uh, yeah. gift to bring them thank <laughs> you oh, that is fucking delicious that is super delicious yeah chapeau yeah, oh. yeah it's really you know oh, that's really good i think i would say that was a if i didn't know Really, I, I would I would have gone more like sherry. Yeah, yeah maybe it's a little bit thinner on the end yeah. well it's, it's also more yeah. Yeah, like a, a, a little more of a, like, yeah, of a thickness on yeah. the palate that I, it would speak to me more of a, like a, like a, a fino kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's really yummy. Yeah, it's really good. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. So to return to what made you come to France, uh, so you're inspired by the bottles of Ganavat that you tried and, and by a wish to work with many, many different uh, grape varieties and wine styles in a mm-hmm. short period of time. Yeah. Uh, you showed up at Ganavat, you were unmasked for speaking no French whatsoever. Why, why do you think they, they let you stick around? I mean, I worked... Re- <laughs> I, that's a good question. I worked really hard, and I worked really hard on the French thing, too. They were so generous with me. I can't overstate how kind and welcoming they were. Like, the whole family, like, and Fanfan, their grandmother, all the kids, like, everyone. I would be on, like, family vacations with them. Anytime they had a family dinner, they invite... Because I knew nobody, also. And this, like... You know, nobody in a place with nobody. Yeah. You know, it's very, mm-hmm. very secluded. I So I lived at the domain, but I worked really, really hard. And I remember the first day I got to go in the cellar and I was really excited. And I know how to work in a cellar. Like I had less experience in the vines and more, you know, I had years of experience in the cellar. So I felt quite confident. All right. Obviously I was there to learn a different style of work in the cellar, but in a general, like, what is a pump? What, you know, when do you, mm-hmm. how do you do certain things? Yeah. Like, I already had a bit of confidence that way. And um, I was just like, they, and no one spoke English. And they, like, there's just yelling in really quick Jura accent French. <laughs> and it was just like chaos. Chaos for me in my head. I'm sure it wasn't actually chaos. And how big was the seller team at the time? I mean, there was just a few people. Yeah. There was like Nico was there, um, this guy named Eric. Um, Nicolas Jacob. Nicolas Jacob was still there. And there'd be one other guy. And then like I 
was also part of that team. Like during harvest, I was always in the cellar, which was pretty special. Yeah. I was the only woman. Mm-hmm. And like there was also people that had been working in there longer that didn't get yeah. to be part of the cellar team. But I remember the first day, I didn't know what anything was called. They also have like weird dessert names for a lot mm-hmm. of like the equipment. Can you and think I, of an example? Um... You don't like have to think a, of it like if a it comes to you. Like there's like um, a thing you use. It looks like a huge watering can mm-hmm. to fill up. For ouillage? For like ouillage. Yeah. For topping up. Yeah. And, you know, they just call it something else. And like, mm-hmm. you know, and like even the French guys are like, like I remember when Alex, Alex Plissa, he's like, wow, Katie, it must have been so hard for you. He's like, I speak French and mm-hmm. I still don't know what they're talking about. he's from the about. Southwest? He's from the Southwest, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he's also étranger because he has an accent, you know? Mm, yeah. <laughs> so he's equally as yeah. weird as I am. The thing, yeah, the thing to know about this, yeah, the, the, the real joke kind of pinning this whole series is that French people are all basically foreigners to one another as well, unless they come from the same area code. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but, so I remember going back to my little grandmother. I had the apartment of Fanfan's mother above the kitchen. Um, which is like living in your grandmother's apartment from 1960. It was was like, his mother still there? She is still living, but wasn't living there. Okay. But she would like, I think it was the first time someone had lived there. And she, you know, she's very of this generation of like, w- like she was always like cooking and cleaning for everyone. And she would just be like, oh, I just forgot something. And like, come and check that everything. She's like, oh, I just like cleaned up while I was there. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's still her domain. Her, her domain. Yeah. Totally. I was like, oh, thank you. And actually really funny, like tangential story. I have this like little um, piece of art that my friend gave me that is like a lacquered tree from this Canadian modern artist. And it's just this little thing someone sent me as like a reminding of home. But it's like, he's like quite a famous artist, you know? So I have it like on the side here. And I, she had like snuck in to do cleaning and like she had put it on the table and used it because it's like lacquered as like a hot plate. <laughs> I'm just like it's modern art. It's not super useful. I just like I died laughing. It was so yeah. great. But I remember I came home the, after the first day of working in the cellar, and I literally was like, "How the heck am I going to try to learn everything that they're talking?" And I went online to a winery supply store that had an online catalog. And I looked at all the pictures of all the things that I saw in the cellar and like wrote down the French names in like a little, like in a little pamphlet book. And I like took it with me all the time. Mm. And they're like, what is the thing? And I'd have to like go. Yeah. So I made myself a little like winery dictionary. Mm -hmm. So I think they saw me really trying. It was actually a picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing to feel like infantilized. Like, yeah. uh, well, I mean, that's really the biggest thing, you know, about moving to another country, where particularly, where, you know, where you don't speak the language. It's just that you have to deal with those, like, almost like five years, basically, where you're going to be treated like a child because you've got about the totally. same comprehension rate. Totally. You know? Well, I mean, I understand. I remember sitting... At the at a table, I mean, I mean, this is very common, I'm sure. And you don't understand the conversation that's happening. Mm. And then it was really nice. I don't know how long it took. Like after six months, things got better for sure. Like I felt after harvest, I was feeling like a bit more of the team. And then maybe after a year, it was pretty. Like my French wasn't good, but like mm. I felt like I could understand more. And like, and it was le- there's less of that kind of. Um, sort of like a shame about speaking because you know how bad it is and then eventually you get over it and it well, yeah, you, you, like, you know as soon as you start you come out with a phrase and you see like this slight 
exasperation and boredom <laughs> in the eyes of the French person that you're speaking to. And they're like, I don't understand. Yeah, you're like, but you I just see put in the together, corners of yeah. their eyes. <laughs> just like their ears are squinching. They're like, what? How will you butcher my language now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're like, what? I, and I'm like, no, I just put together like a really great sentence and the verb is for sure in the right place. Yeah, I and conjugated they're like, the fuck out of that. <laughs> they're like, when? Yeah. What's happening? So, but, and then after, you know, a little bit of time, I remember sitting at um, a table and kind of being like, oh, I can understand like most of what's being said yeah. and I can participate at mm -hmm. least in the conversation. But a really funny time, actually, we had um, maybe this was in the first eight months or something. And I was like, I felt like French was getting OK. And um, we had a tasting with some Parisians who I don't know who it was, but uh, someone from and like at like Fonfon was was leading the tasting and like one of the Parisians I think just asked me about like where like who it was and what I was doing and all that stuff what's your number <laughs> what's your number yeah. um <laughs> so asked me like a question and I didn't understand so I just I asked him like to re like to repeat it and instead of him repeating it like Fanfan from across the room had overheard that I didn't understand so he repeated it but like didn't change the language, just repeated it. And I was, and then I was like, oh, okay, I got it. And like answered him. And then at that moment, I was like, oh my God, the only French, because Fama has like a outrageous Jurassien small town accent. I was mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, the only French I understand is from like Hotelier Jura. I was like, oh, okay. I think this is going to be funny anyways. Well, maybe, I mean, it's probably like the same as Quebecois or something, right? It's not, I feel it, yeah. <laughs> well, everyone says, everyone in France says that the Jura is a Quebec. Uh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. It's like, everyone's like, oh. And I remember when I first got to Paris, I, you know, I knew like three people and one of them I'm no longer in touch with, but like, she was trying to explain to me how funny the Quebecois accent was and was just showing me random YouTube videos. But you don't of, hear it. Of Montreal people, oh, okay. people in Montreal speaking normally yeah. in like news reports and stuff. And she was just pissing Dying. himself laughing and could not understand why I didn't understand how hilarious just the way they spoke was. Yeah, because you can't yeah. also understand. Now, of course, now, of course, now I find it different. funny. Yeah. Yeah. I have some friends who do that to me in German. Yeah. They're like, played some sort of like rural... Bavarian accent. And they were dying and yeah. I was like, they're like, can't you hear? I'm like, I don't speak a word of German. Yeah. Like, what are you even talking about? No. When you first started working in France at Canada, were there practices that you encountered in the vineyard or in the cellar that, that shocked you in the beginning? That Coming from a, a more new world perspective? I mean, I think in the vineyard, I was just totally open because I had done a tiny bit of vineyard work, but I didn't know like what a year in the vines was like. Yeah. And I didn't know what organic viticulture looked like. I didn't know what or like the biodynamics was mm -hmm. other than like reading a bit about Don't it. Don't talk about that too much because you're going to piss off our sponsor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know about the herbicide treatments. <laughs> <laughs> Segway by your roundup. Um, uh, so I think that in the vines, I just had a totally open mind. And in the cellar, yeah, there were some things, you know, the one thing that I found sh but shocking in a great way in the, from winemaking, and then there's some other things in just like the day-to-day -day working, which I can touch on, but like the one time I actually felt like I don't know if shock's the right word, but like in awe, perhaps, is like the, it was one of the first days. Shock maybe, and awe. Shock and awe. Yeah. So maybe one of the first days that I was in the cellar, I 
I can remember exactly. We were racking. It was 2017 in the summer. We were racking the 2016 rents of the domain. And so as like put that in context of what I knew about red winemaking, like where I was working in Canada and also where I'd been in South Africa, it was very like much more technical in terms of everything's de-stemmed and cold soaked and like there's time pump overs for extraction and it was filtered and there was a lot of work on the winemaking side for extraction mm-hmm. whereas I tasted the Pinot Noir it was a 16 Julien Pinot Noir which is still to this day maybe my favorite Pinot Noir that I've had from him it's mm-hmm. like forever one of my favorites um and tasting it and just thinking how delicious it was in that moment and asking them like what they were doing and he's like nothing it's just like grapes and we put them in the in the tank and we press them and now we're racking them and mm-hmm. i just so that like really simplicity in the winemaking that was shocking yeah. we did a lot and there was like a you know my experience had been like a lot of filtration and a lot of sulfuring and mm-hmm. just that there's really kind of like two or three movements of the wine in its entire life, and it, and it's really everything's at a minimum. So it's more of the process of unlearning than. It was uh, unlearning, yeah. yeah, and then learning. I mean, in terms of like cleaning, uh, I think that if you want to work without sulfur and without, I mean, we don't we use chemicals really in the. We didn't use chemicals really in the winery, on a day to day basis, and like. At Genva, it's just water, yeah. hot water in a general way. Mm-hmm. And I just think if you, for me, it makes sense. Like if you want to continue to work without sulfur, like you have to be extremely detail oriented in your winemaking and like where, like cleaning. And so I just, I feel like my level of like thinking about things to clean, like just went up like times 10,000. Mm-hmm. Okay. So on learning how to make wine and learning how to be, Super scrupulous. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. so. Those are the two things I found in the cellar mm-hmm. the most. I mean, I imagine it wasn't just like a, for like a, you know, love at first sight, getting to France and then deciding to stay. I mean, would, would you say how long did you say it would it, it take you after you after you started working in kind of that you got you know you got kept on for another season and then you decided to stay stick around the Southern Jura and then... yeah, it was very very little by little and the plan was again like I said the plan was to never stay here forever it was to go back to Canada to start mm-hmm. a project and I guess because I had a visa there's like a visa for young Canadians and young French people that you can go and work in whatever you know, mm-hmm. there's an exchange basically and you you can have it for up to two years but you have to renew it every six months so for two years it was kind of just like six months at a time of like I'm staying here I'm staying here and I just I couldn't because I they were so nice to me and there was it was so interesting to be making those wines like I couldn't think I mean there's lots of winemakers I could think of it would be beautiful to go work with them but like I couldn't imagine like trying to find like I was just so excited to be there it was such Mm -hmm. an adventure that like I didn't know I wasn't like I'm gonna go somewhere else for six months I was like I really loved Mm -hmm. the Jura I just loved what we were doing in the cellar too. I thought it was so, in the like everything, the winemaking, yeah. everything about it was great. So it was six months, and it was in 2018 that I was like, you know, my two years was over, and I had asked them if I could, they would help me with like a working visa. So it was like another year. And during that time, I did receive some job offers in Canada, but like there was still nothing that was like as exciting as the wines we were making. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I would rather be like a little vineyard donkey doing like whatever at Ganva than 
being like the head honcho somewhere making wines that I don't really believe in. Yeah. Or they don't excite me in mm-hmm. some way. So I just like, I didn't take any of those opportunities. I stayed with Ganva. And um, so in 2018, I just told him, I was like, okay, if I'm going to be here, do you think at some point I could find some vines? Because, you know, it's really word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm like, if you hear of anything, just that like a little bit. That was in 2018. You that, 2018, you wrote that. Idea. That was 2018. That was pretty quick. But I didn't expect it to be, like, a lot of vines. I was just, like, I just want, like, a little project mm-hmm. for myself. And that was in the summer of 2018. And then that harvest, this gentleman came into the cellar while I was working with Fanfan and was talking to Fanfan, this, this was like, a neighbor of Fanfan, and was, like, hey... Um, I'm looking to retire. I have eight hectares. Mm-hmm. Are you interested in buying? And at the time, Fama was like, no, we have enough. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to. And I literally was like just standing next to him. I remember being there with like the Karcher mm-hmm. cleaning mm-hmm. the press. And he was like, oh, but, and we had just talked about it. And he's like, oh, but Katie's looking for vines. Mm-hmm. So I was like, hey, <laughs> that's me. Mm-hmm. And um, so we went to go see his eight hectares. I was like, absolutely not a project I'm interested on. It's like way too much mm-hmm. for me. I would like a small project that I can do. I was literally looking for like a few hours or something, you know, nothing. And then, but what happened is like the, so we had different parcels all over. And then this one, the last parcel we came to was this parcel that is uh, just above Grus. And it's right across the valley from Grus en the like the vines of La Baie and also of Ganva. And when I was working at Ganva, that was always my favorite parcel that mm-hmm. we would go work in at Ambia. And it was like up up on the top of the ridge because there was like nothing. There's literally one house. It's forest and cows and vines. And it's like just there's something about being in that valley. You just hear like cowbells and there's the wind and there's it's really like it feels like you're kind of in nature mm-hmm. as opposed to being. You like, get more cowbell. You get a lot more cowbell. <laughs> Give it more cowbell. It's like outrageous that there's cowbells. Also, they're not as like high pasture, but it's, yeah. there's something so bucolic about mm-hmm. it. You know, like ding, ding, ding. But anyway, so when we were working at Ambia, our view was across the valley was this parcel. I didn't know that it was all one parcel, but this hillside that was just so beautiful and it was surrounded by forest and it had this like, I always tell this story, but it had this like little cabin in the middle and I would always think when I saw it, what a beautiful parcel. Imagine if one day I could have something like that for myself. Anyways, so flash forward, we're with this man. We go to see his like different parcels. I was like, eight hectares is like way too much. Like, I'm not really that interested. And then we come to this parcel on the hillside. And he's like, this is my parcel of Saint Laurent Lafage. It's the entire hillside. Every variety of Jura is planted here. And I was like, I think I could have cried. I was mm-hmm. just like, the, I don't think I said anything. There was just like this, again, the shock and awe. Because you didn't speak any French. Obviously. I also didn't speak any. No. <laughs> you like, I'll oh, take it. And he said, quoi? <laughs> <laughs> like, Whatever you want. Take yeah. anything. Yeah. Um, and so that was in 2018. And then he didn't want to split up his parcels. And he ended up doing it. And it took three and a half years. Wow. To do, I mean, I can't even. That's a major tell commitment to to taking root in the Jura. It was a major commitment, and I will say that the entire time I didn't know if I was doing the right thing because mm-hmm. it's a big thing to yeah. move. It's not like oh, you're doing a job, 
uh, at a like at a whatever at a place and you're like well I don't like my job anymore I'm going to go do the same job in Canada back where I feel yeah. at home it's like you have land like you're there and there's mm-hmm. an investment you know there's like all that time and money to invest you know, so I mean, now, now here we are in Orbania population uh, 220 maybe exactly. yeah. <laughs> I mean to, to <laughs> just to give it to kind of zoom out for listeners abroad like uh, the Jura already is a fairly tiny region, something about what, 2,500 roughly hectares, somewhere around there, like total yeah. of vineyard surface. Uh, we're east of Burgundy, we're abutting Switzerland, and we're not really n- near some the major train axis of the north-south kind of like uh, area of France. So it's a, little, it's, it's a little more isolated for that reason. And then particularly the southern Jura is arguably more culturally isolated than the northern part of the Jura. For sure. Yeah, because in the north of the Jura, you've got Arbois, and it's a a bigger town. It seems like there's a greater concentration of estates. And then it's more viticultural even, you know, and and then you get to the southern part of the Jura, and it's more bucolic, as you say. A lot of rolling hills. The landscape is a little more like the Maclonet almost. Mm -hmm. Prettier for that reason, because it's not just vines, vines, vines everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I think that South Jura is a really special place. And it's also I, closer to the Beaujolais. It's closer to the Beaujolais. I mean, and everything is kind of an hour and a bit away. Yeah. But it is still very... But I say that also to, to you know, underline isolated. the courage yeah. of, you know, your choice to, to, to come here. It's I very isolated. Staying that for three and a half years. Yeah. It's not nothing. I mean, and there was just, like, I won't go into the details of living in France, but it is a country of paperwork, as I'm sure you know, as, like, an angle that also lives in France, like... It is, I mean, I have gone through three printers in the time that I have been here, which I, I don't know, I had like one printer my entire life in Canada or something. Like everything is literally paperwork and just uh, things that I never knew I needed that I had to like special order. It's just, I, my friend and I, who's another Canadian, we joke, it's like Survivor, you know, the show Survivor. It's mm-hmm. like sh- Survivor paperwork mm-hmm. and that like... Who, who can, yeah. Who can outlast. It's yeah, like climb you... Climb the mountain Yeah, climb the mountain of administration in France. So it took three years, and in my head, I was like, oh, this is going to be super easy. Like, in a Canadian entrepreneurial way, you're like, oh, the, by tomorrow afternoon, all the papers will be in line, and then fine. But it, it took so long. I'm also coming as someone who doesn't have an agricultural degree. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, even, even to be able to buy those. To buy land, you have probably to. Probably difficult. Yeah. It was more difficult. I had to get all, you know, you have to put in another dossier to be like, why are you capable of buying agricultural yeah. land mm-hmm. um it goes to the safair yeah, which exactly. is like are um, you a priority yeah, to buy so agricultural land so there was a lot there was it just took so much extra time because of that mm-hmm. which and but re- in retrospect it's maybe not a, a bad thing like it you know i think i lack a bit of patience and i want things like i was excited to get into my project mm-hmm. uh, but um having this time forces you to like think about things longer and like maybe have more time to better plan mm-hmm. long term so i don't think no in retrospect now like i don't think it was necessarily a bad thing mm-hmm. but yeah it literally up until the day that we signed the papers i was like am i doing the right thing mm-hmm. but then at some point you just make the decision and it's the right thing because that's what you did yeah and that's what life is right indeed indeed and would you say, besides, you know, even putting wine aside, what would you say has been the hardest thing for you about adjusting to life in the Southern Jura? Mm, that's so tough. You know, there's some things about life 
there's there's two things on like a really personal level one thing i mean i love my friends that i've met in france and i've made some really beautiful friendships for sure but i haven't made girlfriends in the way that i have in canada and mm-hmm. i i kind of miss french girlfriends or just or french any kind of girlfriends? just like yeah no like girlfriends like 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 sis like you know cause i'm an only child like yeah. girlfriends that feel like family sisterhood like yeah. sisterhood kind of thing and What was nice, I guess, during COVID is that a, a nice thing about COVID is that I kind of really reconnected with people who mean a lot to me because it's not like, because I think you kind of default to being closest to people you see every day just because mm-hmm. they're around. Yeah. But during COVID, you can see anyone. So yeah. it was like actually connecting with people that meant the most. Mm-hmm. And so that's really important to me. But I feel like I lack that. And honestly, like every woman who's like an expat so not sort of anglo but like an expat has told me their same story about that that it's something about like i don't know if it's like the i don't want to say like french women at all as a category I think it's but a, like it's a french people thing i mean it's a french people thing i, I, I mean i can sure. count the amount of having been here yeah. going on 15 years you know like the amount of french guy f- like friends like best yeah. buds i can probably count that on like one hand really like for sure yeah and i think i the f- friends that i've made that are guys are like i've met through work and that's also a thing i mean i work i maybe i would meet more women but like agriculture is still very male dominated right and the women yeah. that i know who i love like i also have met at, at, at ganba but um you know like are a little bit older than me they're not um girlfriends that like come over and like, like Anthood instead of sisterhood. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So that's like one thing that's been like it. It was. It is a. It is what it is, and like I really enjoy meeting people, but like. That's one thing I find is like it would be nice to have you know that kind of friend that like pops over kind mm-hmm. of girlfriend. Yeah. Anyways, but um, th- also I guess tangentially that like I feel really connected now to my girlfriends that I have from back home mm-hmm. and uh, or that live in other places of France and um, the other thing I wanted to say is like yeah so the South Jura is really incredibly like rustic and beautiful and isolated but sometimes I just wish there was like a cute wine bar I could go have a glass of wine at. so like these things like maybe they're happening because it's mm-hmm. never like South Jura was so different from Arbois where there's like tons of tourism mm-hmm. So, and I don't think there's this real, like, entrepreneurial there's spirit. There isn't even really, like, a cute wine bar in Arbois. Either. In Arbois, either. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But there's, like, you could, like, go find a glass of wine somewhere. Like, find, at, like at lunchtime you know. or in the early afternoon, you could go to Bistro de Clapier. Yeah, you can yeah. go to Clapier for sure. Yeah. But, you know, like, here, there's really... I mean, but it's, it's, it's not just Southern Jura. Not getting, you know, of course, it's, like, it's a story of rural areas worldwide. It's yeah. Like, like, there's a lot of the, a lack of excuse for meeting in person. You know, or a lack of a lack of. But I think this used yeah. to exist. Like even every village yeah. had like a little coffee. Like even I just go out to have a coffee shop. You know, mm. I think that's really important. That like third space of yeah, like that's exactly. not your home. It's not your work. But you mm-hmm. can just go to this space. It's like you can have a coffee or a glass of wine. And like there is a like this you know Hotel de Lard is a really nice restaurant, but it's like a tasting menu restaurant. You yeah. know, and like I just I'm not gonna pop in. Yeah. You know, exactly. I'm sure I could, but it's not like place where. You don't pop in for Everyone pops in for like a coffee and you like yeah, yeah. chance meeting your yeah. fellow colleagues and yeah. see them. And I think that's really important. I talk yeah. about that with like other winemakers here and it's just, it would be nice to, 
because we have so much work to do during, you know, that specific, you know, during the growing season. Mm -hmm. And like, okay, I can't really commit to actually doing dinner every week with someone, but Mm -hmm. I'm like, I would love to... I think that's an important part of life Definitely. as well, you know. I mean, and it's yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's we're talking a little bit about the, the decline of the country bistro. Yeah, you know, for and sure. how it's. I mean, yeah. it, on the one hand, every individual house is furnished with internet and with uh, you know, like we have many many ways to amuse ourselves at home and in you know within the private sphere that the yeah. the sort of that that public sphere that third space that you say is yeah. it's becoming eliminated and yeah. with societal consequences as well. Yeah. 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 So those are things that I find, and I don't know, like, I... Um, Good thing there are natural wine salons. There are natural wine salons, yeah. No, and it's not like I don't see people, like, so many people come to visit, and I feel really lucky that I've, I feel the people that I work with now also feel like friends, even though mm-hmm. I just maybe see them. It's, like, really, it's a, the relationships that I, that I really enjoy, and I, th- I think that if you want to be, like, some, if you want to be a winemaker working alone in Jura, something about your personality has to be okay mm-hmm. with, like, and so I feel like I'm well suited to that work yeah. already, you know, it's mm-hmm. fine to be, um, like, solitary a lot of time, yeah. it's no problem for me, but certainly, yeah, those are, I find, like, that thing, especially, like, this time of year, with mm-hmm. the winter right now, harvest is just ending, there was so many people here during harvest, I feel like I'm an empty nester after harvest, mm-hmm. you know, I have, like, 20 people that are here for basically, like, summer camp, and they all leave and it goes from like 110 percent to like negative five and then you're like whoa okay i wish there were a bistro (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. but then you know and then all of a sudden i have lots of work to do and people are coming and it's the long season so it's like fine but yeah there's a like i think that's rural living everywhere perhaps such as such as the the life you've adopted (laughs) or the life that has adopted you whichever way you want to look at it yeah like a I don't know if I believe in destiny. I think you like, you know, you make your own decisions. And again, like, I think at some point you need to, I've always been open to any opportunity I get. And I think at some point you just make the decision and you have mm-hmm. to, and you can't always be thinking of something better coming along. It has to be like, that's a decision you made and it will be great because that's what it is. Yeah. It's also about accepting all the little decisions that have led to this one thing that feels like a decision. Yeah. Also. Yeah. 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 I feel like it's, really, again, I said like, I really feel like it was very little by little. Mm-hmm. And then when I look back in retrospect of like how much has actually been accomplished in like the six years that I've been here, it's mm-hmm. like massive, I think. But at the same time, it never felt overwhelming because it wasn't like, there wasn't ever the huge goal of like, okay, I'm going to start a domain of like X number of hectares and like, I need to make so much wine and like all that. It was just like, okay, tomorrow I need to do my dossier. It felt and logical. Like, yeah, yeah, it was just like all, it, when you break it down into little day by day steps, it doesn't feel that like overwhelming, I don't mm-hmm. think. Well, I know we're almost out of time, but uh, I believe you've got an excellent story about a Zumba. Oh my God, my Zumba. What is a Zumba? Okay, so the when I was, when I first got here, again, I thought I was only going to be here for six months. And my mentality was like, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes to anything, opportunity to like go and do something French, even if it's totally not my style. Frog hunting at midnight. Frog hunting at midnight, like whatever. Uh, you know, yeah. And even if I understand, I'm like, so it often like would, you know, and it was like the Ganvas that would invite me to go do stuff. And like often because of my bad French, I thought we were doing one thing and be something else. So like Fanfa once uh, invited me for like a dinner 
And I show up in like dinner clothes at his house and he's like, oh, you're, why are you dressed like that? I was like, I don't know. He's like, yeah, but okay, you need like sneakers. I'm like, okay. And then I didn't realize until like the last second that we're actually like, taking all the motorcycles and like we're going to dinner somewhere else. I'm like, yeah, all right. Like, I don't fucking know. So, anyway, so same thing. So Anne was so generous and would often invite me to go have dinner with her. Like just the two of us. It was really nice. And it was summertime and she invited me out for like Apaho. And I was like, yes, like, yes. And so I, uh, she's like, okay, I'm going to pick you up at seven or something. So I'm like dressed to go to like a casual opera. It was like Thursday or something. And we're driving and we go pick up a friend of hers. I'm like, okay, great. We're like, you arrive at Versailles. Yeah, we arrive at Versailles. <laughs> and we're driving and like we go, we drive past like the major city near here, which is La Sonnier, and like start going up into like the wood not the woods but like away from the city again i'm like oh this is like maybe not apaho like i don't know and we drive and drive and like clearly it's not apaho and we arrived at this like rural like this village um like foyer rural and how you would town like hall. like a town hall sort of thing where yeah. you can have events and like you can rent it out so we went to this like random town hall and i'm like clearly so I'm just going with it I'm like yeah great we're here like thought we were coming here the whole time like just thought it was you know at the hole. go inside the foyer rural, and it's like 50 middle-aged women all for a Zumba class which is like a dancing exercise class excellent and they're all in like like leotards of like amazing and I was there and in my life bring a leotard. I did not I was in jeans and thank god I was in jeans and Chuck Taylors and I was like and she's like oh are you okay to dance and I'm like yeah obviously I always dance in this like it's fine and <laughs> I did this like Zumba class with them which is and they were so into it I was like this is the best lost in translation that I've ever had oh anyway so the Zumba is just like yeah indicative of my like excellent French which, which has improved massively since then, right? Which is, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think I would still go back and do Zumba. It was, like, super yeah. fun, actually. But oh What's well, a third space? It's, a, it's the, the missing third space. I yeah. should just go to just a Zumba pop into class. a Zumba class, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. Feel lonely. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again so much for having me having me around. Uh, Thanks for coming. Thanks for bringing this beautiful wine. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, so the, great. The, the, the wine, speaking of which, just to go back to it, I mean, oh, yeah. it's, it's still got this like it's like it's still on like a, a, a lactic kind of profile. Yeah, isn't it? like it's. I don't mean this in a critical way, but it's got this like dairy farm kind of thing, but. Ah. Do, do you, yeah. Yeah. Like, kind of like this like rich like softness. Yeah, like it, but a you know a dairy farm with some with some kind of like a. You know, vertical florals as well. Yeah. It's interesting. No, it's quite beautiful. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, a concentration that you're not used to with a hybrid wines or B no. uh, wines from the USA at all. I actually <laughs> find um, tangentially to this the um, Didier Grapp wine mm-hmm. of his that is like Saviard Souvoir yeah. is actually phenomenal, and mm-hmm. I maybe like hybrids are great for Souvoir or like oxygen. Didier Grapp may be onto something. Yeah, yes. amazing. <laughs> Well, well, thanks, Aaron. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you again.